and welcome back to the Worst Sister Shire podcast, where we believe that if attempted murder is a crime, then attempted comedy is a podcast. This week, we'll be continuing to cover the new Pretty Little Liar series, Original Sin, in our segment we've called Unoriginal Sin. It's still just me and Suna this week, while Sadie's continuing to deal with her technical difficulties. Um, so say hi, Suna. Hi. And this week, we'll be covering episodes six and seven of Original Sin. First of all, amazing episodes, can I just say. Yes, really good. And I love the um, interaction that we get to Rosewood. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And there's also a little reference to Riverdale. So I guess they're in the same universe, too. I know. We'll talk about that when we get there. But yes. <laughs> So yeah, everything's all up in this universe. I didn't even know. So why don't we get started with episode six, which is called Scars. Um, And basically in this episode, we follow Tabby and Imogen to Rosewood because they follow up on a lead with someone who knew Angela. They find out some more information and they go off to to the Rosewood Radley Hotel where they try and find some more information about when it was a sanitarium. And we basically find out a lot about Farad and her background in this episode. And yeah, all of the girls are kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, is, did you want to summarise episode 7 for us? Yeah, so episode 7 is called Carnival of Souls. And as the name would indicate, it's based largely around the carnival that's being held. Both present time and past carnivals that have happened in Millwood. So we get a bit of a reflection through the carnival spectrum of what happened to Angela at the carnival back in 99. And also what happened to mouse back in 2012 which is a thing that we've been all dying to know so yeah with that i think we'll start back at tracing the the girls through these episodes so we started this episode back on tabby and imogen's sort of bed where they're having this conversation about a shared experience where they admit they were both sexually assaulted we get the flashbacks of Tabby telling Imogen about it. Um, so Imogen decides she's not ready to share at this moment um, and she'll share later. But mm-hmm. in this scene, we do get Tabby's story finally about what's happened to her. Um, so we've s- seen the kind of flashbacks to that bonfire party before. But now we see that how she ended up there was Greg asked her when she was w- working at the Orpheum one night whether she wanted to go to this party with them. Um, she asked Chip to cover for her and Chip was like, are you serious? Are you going to go with these guys? And she does. So then the rest of the night is a bit of a blur for her and we kind of see bits and pieces of people's faces. So I think we see like Karen's face, we see Greg's face, we see Sean's face. We yep. see a bunch of different faces. Um, including some of the background characters, kind of floating around in a haze. What's interesting is when Karen and Greg walk in to the Orpheum, they're together when they ask Tabby about if she wants to go to the party. But when the scene is framed, Karen's kind of cut out of it. So they walk in together, they stand at the counter together, Mm -hmm. and then Karen's cut out of the frame for the rest of the shot when Greg is asking her whether she wants to go with them to the party. We'll probably find out more about that, I would say. I was more thinking along the lines of, and this is really evil, whether Karen had something to do with Tabby's assault. And I don't know where she would have been involved, but I wonder if she was. The haze that she was in, and Tabby makes a point of mentioning that she didn't have that much to drink. Mm. I think we're left with the impression that she was maybe drugged. Yeah. So she could have had something to do with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is something we were speculating about offline. Um, Yeah, so as soon as mentioned... It very well may be that Karen had something to do with Tabby's assault. Why, we don't necessarily know just yet. But we're thinking that maybe that is something that she's done and that's what has her dubbed as a bully and why A would have gone after her. Because in that episode where Karen passes, A sends that text saying, you know, 
one bully down, five to go after he had killed Karen. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of left being like, oh, well, yeah, she was a bit rude. She was not nice to anyone, but was she particularly a bully? What had she done? Because all of the stuff that she had quote unquote done, like the razor blades in the shoes, and it was actually A who'd done that. What was she doing to be a bully? Yeah, so she was a bully, but she was just a straight up bully. She wasn't any more of a bully than anyone else at school probably. Well, maybe she was, but she wasn't extraordinary. Like she didn't hurt people physically and it's a bit extreme to kill her for that behavior. Maybe there's something darker that she's done that... A knows about that we don't yet because in the same kind of sense A doesn't seem to have a problem with Kelly or with the other girls who have all done mean things and we see and we've talked about this before but we keep seeing A um, having opportunity to, to harm the girls and not taking it and this is kind of ties into that message that you were just talking about we don't know 100% who the five bullies A is talking about are because he's had opportunity to get at the main girls in the present time, but he hasn't taken it. So we at first thought it could be five to go, as in the mums. Uh, Arzum rightfully pointed out that there's <laughs> only four mums left. Yeah. <laughs> so there could be one more person. Let's theorise about this as we go through the show, but I feel like that one more person could be the mystery sixth person that signed into the sanitarium to visit Rose Waters. I was going to say the other thing before we finish this scene, Tabby points out that Tyler had an alibi for that night, the night mm-hmm. that she was assaulted. Um, she stalked him online and he was on a family holiday or something that weekend. So he couldn't have been at the party. So he's no longer a person of interest for her as in whether he was or was not at that party. Yep. So uh, next for Tabby and Imogen is they go to meet Joseph England, AKA crazy Joe. Yes. At the train yard. (laughs) So just something small about this scene that I really liked when they first go in and um, they're sitting in this train yard thing. Tabby is super sus and rightfully so. Um, yeah. He's like, oh, I can close the door if you're cold. And she's like, mm, no, I'm good. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she's like, crazy Joe, was it? <laughs> yeah, crazy Joe, was it? <laughs> that was good. And um, also when you know, Imogen asks him, you know, how did you come to live around here? And he says that he's hired to look after the derelict carts to make sure no one sets them on fire. And Tabby's like, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm right there with you, Tabby. Like, what a job to have. <laughs> Does my council have one of these and how do I get this job? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Legit. I just thought it was so funny that um, she was so openly sus about this because that's something that we wouldn't necessarily see from the other liars in mm. in Pretty Little Liars. I feel like as a whole, these liars ask more questions than the original liars did. Yes, definitely. <laughs> still not enough, but more. <laughs> Maybe like the next series will be the ultimate question asking liars. The next series will be Veronica Mars. Oh my God. She asked all of the questions. <laughs> Veronica Mars being chased by A. I would watch this. Oh my God. I would watch this. And she'll find him at the end of episode one. So. Yeah, she will because she's so good. Maybe we'll make it a movie instead of a um, show. Yeah. Okay. We could do that. Pretty Little Liars Original Sin Producers. If you want um, this, just hit us up. We'll, we'll write it for you. Yeah, we're happy to be involved in literally everything. We will act in it too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we won't be good, but we'll do it. Yeah, so we find out a bit about Crazy Joe and how he knows Angela. So he admits that he didn't just know Angela, he was in love with Angela. And my, one of my new favourite quotes uh, has arisen from this very scene. 
is he called the mums a gaggle of she bitches. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that they had a collective term. They're a gaggle. Yeah. <laughs> They're not just like a group or whatever. They're a gaggle. And he says that they took her away from him because mm-hmm. they were like just this outcast couple of friends slumming it in the school. And then it sounds like she very much Katie Harrand her way into um, the group of mean girls. And she was trying to hang out with the girls. And he said that she couldn't keep up with those girls. And she came crashing down on Y2K night. And then we find out some more interesting things that happened, which is that uh, Rose, Angela's mother, who crazy Joe says is her only family. She snapped and she came to the school with, with a butcher knife. And she tried to stab a table of boys, not the girls, but a table of boys, which I thought was interesting because of things we'll find out when we talk to Eddie Lamb. But can I just say also the name Rose Waters is so cute. It's like Rosewater. I know. I've been thinking about that all day. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it's Rosewater in Rosewood. I know. When I heard it, I literally thought of you immediately because of how much you love Rosewater. (laughs) I love Rosewater. It's the cutest name. I agree. And I've been literally, ever since I heard of her name, I've been thinking of Rosewater every single time. <laughs> it's cute. I like it. Oh, we're at the butcher scene. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, butcher knife scene. Yeah. No, the butcher scene. She's a butcher. <laughs> we don't know what she did before that. I missed that reveal. <laughs> <laughs> no. As I mentioned, Rose comes to school and starts trying to hurt a table of boys um and there are two teachers kind of that stand up and looks like they try and stop it so i rightly pointed this out that it very much looks like principal clanton and um miss murray miss murray that's right and i don't know to me clanton in particular looks exactly like him just younger it's even the way he dresses it's his head shape it's everything so i fully believe that that could be principal clanton and miss murray yeah i think mrs murray looks exactly like her too like it's the hair how many people have that gorgeous hair? I know. But yeah, so it'd be interesting that if they had witnessed this and if maybe, oh, hold on. I think something just clicked in my head for me. Hold up. <laughs> As I was speaking. So uh, maybe the people who survived this assault from Rose, the Y2K Survivors Club. Could be. Because it's immediately when they've gone into Y2K, someone's coming to school with a bunch of knife, with a, with a knife and has like trying to hurt people it's not on everyone's profiles and it's not on the girls profiles and she attacked a group of boys specifically no girls had it on their profiles too okay then never mind my theory is dead but (laughs) just just thinking (laughs) but yeah and then crazy joe tells us that she went to bradley after that and so the girls decide that they're going to go to rosewood to go to this Radley um, hotel and find out some information, see if they can find out any information because Sydney, Tabby's mum is going to some conference somewhere or other. Yeah. But can I just point out something very Mm. odd about this scene? Yep. Why does Tabby have her boss's car? Yes. I was about to ask the exact same thing. And she brings it up so casually. She says it so casually. We've seen no scene that explains it. She just says, I have my boss's car. Why? Why do you have that creep's car? I know. And like, to be fair, Wes has not been creepy in these past two episodes. But like, did you forget everything that he's done? Don't owe him any favors, girl. Yeah, I agree. And then, yeah, also in that scene... Um, this is what I mean. The girls start asking real questions like, can we trust a guy who lives on a train? Could this guy be A? Questions the original five, uh, the original four never asked. The girls have decided to road trip to Rosewood. They pick the most iconic song 
that they could. Uh, Alanis Morissette's Ironic. Oh, I hadn't heard that song before this. Really? Yeah. But you lived with me. Yeah, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's a classic. It's such a perfect road trip song. When it came on, I was like, yes, Imogen and Tabby, this is the perfect road trip song. The thing is, we've also gone on road trips and I haven't heard this song. Oh, outrageous. I feel like this is my now second favourite. You know how movies have road trip songs? Yeah. This is like my second favourite. Yes, that's a road trip song song. What's the first one? The first one is from, you know, A Thousand Miles from White Chicks. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, that's a perfect uh, road trip song too. Yeah, that's a good road trip song. I agree. Can't believe you haven't heard of Ironic. Um, you should listen to it after this and listen to it good and listen to it often. It's a great <laughs> song. <laughs> okay. I'll make sure to do that. So it, just excellent scene, like a thousand thumbs up from me for that scene. Well done, makers of Pretty Little Liars. I also like that Imogen kind of has a bit of a um, pretty woman scene almost at the hotel. Oh, Yes. It is a bit of a pretty woman scene, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so she walks in. But So basically they just say that they're from Rosewood High, which I thought was silly. Don't say you're from Rosewood High because it's a small town. Everyone's going to recognize you or not. <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, but they said they're from Rose- Rosewood High doing a assignment on the old sanitarium. They couldn't find much information online, so can they be put in contact with someone who knows it? Yeah. Another throwback to um, Pretty Little Liars, they say Eddie Lamb works there. Yes. Who used to be an orderly at Bradley. But yeah, like you mentioned, Eddie is not in and he won't be in until the morning. Yep. So the girls decide to use their funds to book a room for the night. So the funds, the money that she raised from her party, they've decided to spoil themselves and they buy themselves a night at the Bradley. And the room looks spectacular, might I say. I was kind of hoping we would see Ashley Marin. (laughs) Yes, same. In the background, but um, we didn't see her. Or Emily, because she bartends there. That's true. So the girls uh, have gone up to their room. The room is spectacular. They've got these gorgeous robes. They've got chocolate-covered strawberries. Yes. Um, one other thing that they have, though, is a wood fireplace. Yes. Why? This is dangerous. Yes. I was going <laughs> um, the same thing. Not just the upkeep of having to clean that damn thing, but are you really trusting hotel guests with actual fire in your hotel? Like, your hotel's not going to last long, honey. But, yeah, I thought the same thing, too. I was like, girl, why? But I did like the little dance and little freak out they had over their chocolate strawberries. And they both instinct go, oh, my God, robes. <laughs> yes. It looked like such a fun time. Like, I literally just want to go book a night at the Radley now. You might have to throw um, a very lucrative fundraiser first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would have to do something. I'll have to figure this out. But I would like to spend a night in the Radley. After the refurb, not before. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I can get you into Radley now, but no, as no, a sanitarium. No. <laughs> no, no, not as a sanitarium. Tabby decides she wants to go out, even though that night, just to explore. Yeah. Even though um, Imogen's no, hasn't been this comfortable in seven months, so she's going to stay in. Fair enough. Yeah. You're heavily pregnant girl, relax. But Tabby goes off on her own to go for a walk, and she goes into Ezra's bookstore. She does. I would have preferred Ezra's prison, but Ezra's books will do. <laughs> yeah, so it seems Ezra has opened up his own little bookstore, we assume anyway. 
could be a different Ezra, but I doubt it. <laughs> it could be that Arya has opened it and called it Ezra. So Tabby um, ends up going back to the hotel with a pretty uneventful night where she meets Imogen again, who says she had a surprisingly productive night. So Imogen ran into someone just outside her room at the vending machine, someone that works at the hotel, and she asked them if they knew Eddie Liam. So she ended up getting in contact with Eddie, who said that he would meet them for breakfast and he would bring his visitor's log from his sanitarium days. We continue with their storyline. The next morning, we do in fact meet Eddie, who has sadly been recast. He doesn't even look like the Eddie from Pretty Little Liars. They didn't even try to get a similar looking guy. <laughs> no, they didn't. Which is sad because I really liked um, the Pretty Little Liars, Eddie. I really liked I... his character and his actor and everything. I agree. But um, Eddie comes to visit and brings his log and they're all kind of having a chat about Angela. I mean, not Angela, sorry, Rose. Shows the visitor's log, sorry, and they notice that there's five signatures there all signed as a waters with different signatures where eddie kind of says that yes rose was visited by five angela waters and they traded off um he said he figured it was basically community service like essentially and imogen showed a photo of the gaggle of she bitches yep <laughs> and said um is this them and he said yes that's them yeah so they've discovered that the five mums were the ones that were visiting as a waters yeah i get wanting not to use your own name if you're worried about something but like why would you use her dead daughter's name like a bit unconventional agree especially since her daughter's just died maybe you had to be family to visit could be when they asked what happened to angela or what happened to the people at the sanitarium he said something i thought was interesting so he said some people were sent to the sisters of quiet mercy which as we discussed earlier is a riverdale reference Yep. So we find out here that Riverdale and um, Pretty Little Lies are apparently in the same universe. But he said some people, including Angela, just got released and bust out of town. Which is interesting because he said that she had trauma-induced psychosis and schizophrenia. Yes. That does not feel like a diagnosis that you can just be released with. <laughs> yes. I don't know why you just let some people leave. Seems like an unusual thing to do. So I think from that point on, we don't know what happened to Rose. So Eddie does also talk a bit more about the specific specifics about why she was brought he said that he had heard obviously that she had attacked a bunch of students and that she had a psychotic break after angela was sexually assaulted and killed herself right because she was sexually assaulted just before the party basically yeah and that's why she jumped according to rose yeah according to rose well what's interesting to me is how does rose know that maybe autopsy said that oh yeah it could have been i was gonna say it's not like angela could have told her yeah. I don't know how Rose would know that. But yeah, could have been. Could have been that it came out in the autopsy, which is maybe why she just went to school and started stabbing up random boys. Yeah, exactly. But also, I'm kind of like, if people didn't question that it was um, a suicide and people, because, you know, the family's crazy, whatever, and there were signs of sexual assault, would they not then have an investigation? That's true. That doesn't make sense. Because, yeah, Sydney told us that they didn't look into it because she was crazy. Could you text in 1999? Could you text in 1999? Good question. Don't know. I was in primary school. I'm going to say no. Okay. I feel like texting became a thing in the early 2000s and it was really expensive because you had to pay 25 cents per text. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I sent texts willy nilly. I sent like the word lol as a text and sent eight more texts back to back. <laughs> like... Yeah. This is ungrateful. If that was, <laughs> if this was early 2000s, you would have paid $2 for that privilege. 
Oh my gosh. Crazy. But yeah, because I was thinking maybe she could have texted her, but then I also don't think if she had the ability to text, she would have gone in asking for help from people around her instead of mm. calling her mum or something. Yeah, I mean, like, phone calls were a thing and pay phones were widely, like, available, so she could have called her mum. You could even do reverse if she didn't have cash on her. Reverse yeah, that's your true. mum, get her to accept the charge. Either way, yeah, that that's a good point. Because how did she know? And if it was mm. because it came up on an autopsy, then why didn't they look into it further? It does seem sus. But then after they say their goodbyes with Eddie later on. So once they're back in the hotel room at the Radley Hotel, um, Tabby goes through the photo that she's taken of the visitor's log and she actually notices that there's six A Waters signatures, not five. They're kind of trying to think about who that sixth signature could be. So someone in addition to their mothers, was visiting under Angela Waters. So there's a mystery person, which is what we were talking about uh, when we first started this recording. So I wonder if that mystery person could possibly be the fifth bully. But also, how does Tyler fit into this? So, like, is Tyler one of the bullies? Yeah, well, I was going to say, we didn't get an updated text being, like, two down now, did we? So I don't know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know how this count is going. So the count is either one down is the mother or two down, they're the current day bullies. I don't know. Is this person just going around and killing people who bullied these girls? Yeah, could be, actually. Intrigue. But why? (laughs) Yes, but why? (laughs) So I've seen some theories online that it could be Zeke. And I think the reasoning behind it is that, you know, the chase scene we haven't talked about yet. But Zeke Mm. comes in and is like, finds out that Farron thinks it could be Kelly or Karen. And then that chase scene happens. Also, you know, to protect Farron against the bullying that was happening Karen again earlier. And then also they said, so they think that's why. But I'm not buying this theory because if that was the case, why would he care about any of the other girls? Like, why would he bother sending the messages being like five down, four to go? Why would he send mouse stories about, I know that you're meeting random people online, essentially? Yeah, and what's his connection to Angela Waters and everyone else? Like, Yeah, so this is why I'm not buying that story. I think the last thing that happens in episode 6 for Tabby and Imogen is that Tabby questions whether or not the person who assaulted both of them were the same person. Imogen says maybe, mm-hmm. and then that's sort of where the episode ends for them. But yeah, in this scene though, <clears throat> Imogen does tell Tabby about what happened to her. It was similar to what happened to Tabby, and mm-hmm. it happened the same night as Karen's party, which we had already assumed. Because of the clothes she was wearing and the seven months, kind of six months thing of her pregnancy and the party. And she confirmed that that's when she got pregnant as well. And she doesn't know much about it. So she says she took a bottle of vodka from the table at the party as she was leaving. And then she went to the beach to drink by herself. And when she woke up, her undies were gone and there was blood and she got pregnant. So she has no idea what happened or who it was. She's got zero idea. Um, So yeah, from here, then they say they go straight to school from here. They can make Farron's performance. And that's where kind of everyone is before the end of the episode. So why don't we go back and track what everyone else is doing and then we can wrap up this episode at Farron's performance. So why don't we do a quick run through Mouse. There's not a lot that happens to her this episode. So this episode kind of starts with Ash asking Mouse out on a bowling date. So which is kind of cute. They're kind of going and hanging out more. They're spending more time together. They're obviously still into each other. And I'm glad to see nothing did happen to Ash. Like I thought something might have last episode at the Halloween party. So yeah. So she's excited to go on the date with Ash. She says yes and that's why she can't go to Rosewood with the girls because she's got her date with Ash. Before she goes on that date though, Mm. Steve calls her. And Mouse 
is very quick and clear to say, you know the rule, Steve, one encounter, like that's it. I did it to give you one more memory with Rachel and you have to be okay with that. And she basically like shuts him down. Yep, she just hangs up on him and doesn't, um, tries not to engage with it. But then if we cut to her scene where she is bowling with Ash, we actually do in fact see Steve showing up in the bowling alley, which is so creepy. Oh my God. Yes, definitely. Super creepy. He's just watching her from a distance. He makes an excuse for Ash to go get food so that she can go and approach him. And she says, you know, leave me alone. And then Ash comes back. He meets Steve. And Steve tells Ash that he is Mouse's dad. And she agrees. She goes with it. Like, just say, no, this man is, like, following me. Yes, well, she didn't want to explain the whole situation of how that happened, though. So she went along with it, but tried to get out. So she said, oh, but in this scene, here's the danger of it. I feel like Ash started giving more information about her to him, saying her name, saying what high school she goes to. So at that point, we don't know that he knows any of that yet. He keeps calling her Rachel. She was using, you know, a filter and not her real name. So we didn't know how much she actually knew, he actually knew about her. And that's really all that happens to Mouse in this episode until we get to the performance. Yeah. Do we want to do Noah next? We saw Noah's episode with her getting called into her coach's office where she says Sandy hurt her foot and she basically asks Noah if she wants her spot on the track team where to which Noah says oh like you know I do want it but I can't like there's a lot going on at home right now and maybe next season I'm all yours kind of a thing. Noah and Sean are hanging out in her room after that. Very weirdly he says Coach D came by practice to see me and she told Sean how Noah turned down the spot on track. That's a weird thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Like why why would you go to her boyfriend to say, oh, actually, Noah turned down track? I don't know. So I tried to justify this in my own head, but I also don't agree with it, that maybe the coach was concerned and wanted to go see if Sean could check in on her or something or make sure she was okay. But And it kind of adds to my suspicions about Sean too, a little bit. Yes. Like, it could have been nothing. It could have been just a plot device, like, oh, yeah, let's track this along. Haha, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Get it? Track. Track it along. Yeah, I got it. Um... <laughs> Yeah, cool. <laughs> just making sure you got my joke. I think maybe it's just a convenient plot device, but also it's really suspicious that he knew that. And also he seems to know a lot of other stuff that's happening before she even tells him what's happening. Oh yeah, like the failing the drug test. That's true, yes. He does seem to know a suspicious amount. And also just even in this, this episode again, when he asks her how he went, she went with that trainer or if she met with that trainer. Yes, very good point actually. With that, though, I thought, oh, maybe she mentioned it and, um, you know, just filled in the gaps. And we just didn't see it, yeah. Because he started asking about, like, oh, how was Bo? But, yeah, good point. Maybe she didn't tell him. We didn't see that. Well, I don't know if she did because, as I was going to say, the future scene that we'll get to in a sec, when he asked her that, she kind of pulls away and turns around and is like, do you know him? If you had told him that you were meeting with a trainer and he asked, oh, how did it go? Or did you meet them? You wouldn't be so weird and need to turn around and look at them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I thought she did that because he said the trainer's name. Like, instead of saying, yeah. how did it go with the trainer? She, he said, how did it go with Bo? But yeah, that's right. Because if maybe she did tell him before, he would have had the opportunity to say, oh yeah, I know of him before. So maybe he didn't know. Yeah, so Sean is suspicious. He seems to know. He seems to know a lot. The rest of that conversation was, she tells Sean that she can't uh, turn her back on her mum. She won't turn her yes, back on her mum. Right. And she's not going t- to do track because she has to be there for her mum and it's not like you don't know what it's like to live with an addict she's still having to do urine tests it seems to the nurse so she's dropping off another little cup of urine um she asked the nurse if there's anything 
she can do to help her mum because basically being she, her mum loves being a nurse and the nurse says she's going to call Kathy at the hospital to see what can be done because she used to work with Teresa and she was a good nurse or something like that. Marjorie? Who's Teresa? Isn't that her mum's name? Marjorie? In all of my notes, I have her as <laughs> Teresa. <laughs> Where did I get Teresa her from? Marjorie. <laughs> she used to work with Marjorie and she knows that she yeah. used to be a good nurse. Later that day, Noah goes back home and is really excited and tells her mum, the hospital's willing to hire you back if you go to rehab for 30 days, which is amazing, I think. Yeah, great deal. Because stealing medication is a very serious offence. Getting over 30 days of rehab is excellent. Marjorie is not having it. She says that, oh, baby, you know, I'm doing so well. And Noah's like, why are you lying to me right now? Like, I've known you my whole life. I've never seen you clean. But yeah, I just think that Noah's really impressive and brave in these scenes. Like, she's having conversations I think most adults would have a hard time having. I fully agree. And she even said to her mum, like, you know, I thought me taking the fall for you was going to be your rock bottom, but it wasn't yours. It was mine. Yes. That was such a good line. Yeah, I agree with you. Super brave conversation. And also, she's still trying to clean up after her mum's mess. She's still trying to get her to save her job and still trying to help her. Her mum does say that she will go to rehab. This sort of changes once Sean shows up at the house and to have a chat to Marjorie while Noah's not there. Yeah, and he says, basically, if you care about Noah, then stop dragging her down before it's too late. Marjorie realises that Sean knows about Noah taking the fall for her and everything. Yeah, then Noah gets home. Yes, and oh my god, my notes here. So my notes say Teresa, but obviously now I know it's Marjorie. Tell us about Teresa. What does she do? (laughs) She's such a narcissist in this scene she's so like it's such a manipulative parent she just did that whole oh I can't believe you told him sort of a thing don't worry I'm not going to be such a burden on you where 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 I've taken a job at the pizza place don't you worry about me you just take care of yourself and I'll take care of me kind of a thing you should have been taking care of yourself the whole time and don't be like oh I didn't mean to be such a burden on you but like yes you were being a burden on her she's like a 15 16 year old girl who took the blame for you for drug use like she sacrificed yeah. her life, her future, by going to juvie and doing all that stuff. She was literally on house arrest. She was doing community service. She's peeing in a cup every morning for you. Like, yes, that's a burden. That is a burden. And it's not something your child should have to do for you. And I feel like she deserves a note from A saying she's a bad mother. Yeah, I agree. But can I just say, like, Stella parenting from all the mothers in this show, because oh, as we will find out next episode, like, Madra is not even the worst of them all. I know. <laughs> There's much to come. I know. So, yeah. Oh, actually, maybe even in this episode because we haven't talked about it yet. But we find yeah. out that uh, Marjorie is definitely not the worst one, even though she seems like it at the moment. Yeah. So this makes Noah realize that her mum doesn't want to get better and she can't mm-hmm. keep enabling her. So she has a conversation with Sean at, back at the school that if her mum wanted to get better, she would have done something about it. The last thing we see Marjorie doing before the end of the episode is she looks like she's buying drugs at the back of Pinball Pizza where she is now employed. Kelly and Farron are together getting ready for the performance of the ballet. Farron asks Miss Clark to add extra fabric to her back and she asks why and she shows her the scar. So Kelly's there in the background and she looks while this is happening. I saw her watching. No one mentioned what scar was though which i'll flag right here so the seamstress says that yes that she'll add more fabric and mesh panel to the back for her 
Baron approaches Kelly and wants to apologize, basically. And yep. Kelly says that Jiri was ready to throw her out of Swan Lake. And the only reason she wasn't was because Kelly told her not to, to not talk to her, basically. Then we cut to Corey has an A message. So Corey gets a tattoo gun on her desk in a red box. And there's mm-hmm. a card from A on there. And there's two red A's on the card as well. One in her name and one in the message about not all scars being visible, but they all hurt. And then we get a flashback to 1999 and we see Corey interacting with Angela and we see that Corey tricks Angela into getting an A tattoo and she says that they're all going to get one done but Angela's going to go first and then she does a disappearing act on her then as we mentioned it cuts back to Farron and she's having Subway with Henry yeah I just had Subway product placement there (laughs) yeah subtle advertising placement and they talk about how she likes ballet she says she doesn't like the politics but she likes the purity of the actual dancing and she tells him about her scoliosis surgery and so she had her surgery when she was eight he asked if there's pain and she said nothing she can't handle um it cuts to the next thing that happens to Farron essentially is that she gets the opportunity to dance for that rep from the ABT the ABT lady notices that uh, Farron favors her left side and she says to her have you had any injuries Mm -hmm. and before she has an opportunity to respond Kelly tells her about the scoliosis like everyone's like oh my god and then the ABT lady says well then I'm even more impressed which it kind of i think is this what you were trying to allude to before that kelly just saw a scar she didn't know what the scar was from but after mm. she's had the conversation with henry and he knows it's scoliosis now kelly knows it's scoliosis yes 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 i got the same vibes from him and i was like why is he reporting back to kelly this is suspicious and also we didn't actually see the scene where he went to discover whether Kelly had scars on her feet or not. We just heard him telling us. So we don't know what happened in that scene. It was very unusual that Kelly suddenly knows about the scoliosis because it doesn't seem to me like it was a widely known thing. No. It's something she tried to keep under her wraps. She always wore stuff that covered her back. And then Farron's having family dinner with her mum and dad. They're having pizza. And her mum's pushing her to see a plastic surgeon. Conversation seems very light and like her mum's just trying to reach out and ask her about this thing Farron seems really into it she's like yeah it doesn't hurt to go see it I'll have one less asterisk next to my name the dad starts being sus so he says oh are you sure like only if you really want to that kind of stuff so you can see there's a bit of something happening there but as far as between Farron and her mum it all seems above board at this stage and the mum says mother knows best I've made an appointment for the surgeon tomorrow morning. And besides, it's just a consultation. Yeah. And Farron's excited to go and see it. So this is a scene where everyone thought that it could be Zeke. And then the next day, Farron's at the doctor's office and she comes back. Wait, just sorry, before she comes back to talk to her mum, the glimpse that we see of her in the doctor's office where she's wearing that paper gown and everything... She mm. looks like in a, she's in a dark room. She looks really creepy and sus and she just looks like she's looking off to the side. It's very disturbing, I thought. Keeping this in mind when we come into the next scene, I think that there's some information that we haven't witnessed as the audience. Like what? Because I thought she said everything when she came back out, really. I didn't think it was just that, though, because suddenly she's very sus as to whether... So basically in the next scene when she comes out, um, she says to her mum that she's not getting the surgery surgeries plural because it's very invasive it'd be grueling lots of pain and all of that stuff she comes out of this scene and then also asks her mum did I even need the surgery like why is she suddenly questioning this because she it's only like become an issue to ask after Henry's asked and so Mm. I'm wondering if maybe she got a text or something in there 
that's led her to think that it wasn't necessary because this is where she starts getting suspicious of the surgery. Why would we not have seen that though? I don't know. This is what I'm saying. Because then why would they give us that creepy look scene where she doesn't look scared. She looks like creepy. She looks sinister. Like she's just found something bad out. She's going to be doing some dramatic shit. Interesting. I don't know. I thought she was just scared. I didn't get that vibe at all. I mean, you never know with this show. From my take, she just went in there. She got told this is going to be a big ordeal. You're going to have to have multiple surgeries. Like it's going to be very invasive. And she started to freak out because she didn't want that. Because she's already living with chronic pain as we come to find out. Yes. She doesn't want to have to go through that any more than she already has to. So I think she kind of had a realization in there when she's like, do I actually want this? Like, what's wrong with my back you know is this even what I want will this make me happy she asks someone what is it with you and if appearances if I can live with this scar why can't you so I think she starts to realize she was there because her mum pushed her into it which yeah this is like what I was going to say about it which kind of ties into your thing like without seeing the rest of what happened here and without her getting that confirmation that the surgery wasn't necessary, it's a strong reaction because yesterday she was really excited to go like she could have gone in there And come back out and said, no, thanks. This isn't for me. It's very invasive and I'm happy with my scar. But she reacted really strongly. So when you see the rest of the episode and you find out what Corey's done, you kind of understand why she would react like that then. But not from what we've seen so far. So yeah, so far, she was super into it yesterday. And she was like, yeah, let's go have a consultation. Maybe it'll be one less asterisk. Like it was a quick turn of events that she turned so sour so maybe something did happen in that room. Maybe you're right. Yeah, that's that's literally the only reason why I'm thinking something did. Yeah, the next scene is Farron's at school, gets her medical file, and it confirms that her mum wanted her to have the surgery against doctor's advice. The doctors yep. recommended that given the severity and her age, it wasn't the best option for her and they didn't recommend surgery and her mum pushed ahead and wanted it done. And then I think we cut to a scene with Helly. Essentially, while all of this is happening to Farron, um, we also see that Greg kind of approaches Kelly while she's practicing and um, goes to kiss her and she says, no, stop. And he says he doesn't miss Karen and that he's always wanted Kelly. And then he gets a bit pushy with trying to make a move on her basically but then yeah kelly's like if you want a chance in hell with me you better be in the front row at swan lake tomorrow with flowers now goodbye greg then the next thing that happens to kelly she's dancing alone in the theater at 8 30 and she gets a text message and it says kelly or karen from an unknown number and the next thing we see is someone in a mask starts chasing her with a knife so it's the second knife we see this episode Yep, And we don't get to see the person. They're not dressed like Leatherface is normally dressed. So that's an interesting yes. point. Mm-hmm. They're wearing the outfit that Henry was wearing earlier. It's his um, Prince Siegfried outfit. And they're wearing a gold mask. So you can't see their face. But they're chasing Kelly all the way around the auditorium until mm-hmm. she's back into a corner and she starts crying that she's Kelly. She says, I'm Kelly, yep. okay? I'm Kelly, I'm Kelly, I'm Kelly. She's covering her eyes and screaming when she opens them, gold face disappears. So they seem to be satisfied. She doesn't need to be killed now because she's not Karen. Leads me to confirm our theory that we've talked about previously, that it was in fact Karen that died. And that's why yes. whoever this person was wanted to make sure of it. I think so too. And yeah, and that's where that Farron's dad theory comes in, that people think it might be. But there's other people that also know about her theory now. She was shouting it at a party. She was shouting it at a party, correct. Her dad knows about it. Her mum knows about it. The girls know about it. 
because I think she mentioned it to them at some point. Henry knows about it. Yeah, I think it's far-fetched to say that just because she mentioned it at the family dinner, it might be the dad. I think we, we have confirmation that that's Kelly. That to me is confirmation that that's Kelly. But yeah, so because of what's happened to Kelly essentially, she drops out of yep. Swan Lake. She tells Madame Jiri it's for personal reasons. Baron gets the black swan part again. <laughs> she says she'll take the part, but she doesn't want to alter her costume. She's fine with having her back showing. So she's made that kind of, you know, that decision after all that stuff with her mum that she's going to go ahead with it, yep. with being herself. The next thing that happens is um, she tells Henry about it and she asks yep. Henry to take up for her new, for the board, a new pick of her. And he makes yep. a Spider-Man joke about all of the recastings, which... I didn't get because I don't watch any Spider-Mans, but I assume it was funny. Appreciated his joke because just before he said that, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, how many recastings has this show had? And then I think that's where all our characters come together at the end yes. for the performance. So Farron's um, got her notice board bio on the board and uh, mm -hmm. it says essentially her story about her back and it's like full on attacking her mum and being like, my mum against the wishes of my doctors and my dad did this thing to me and I'm going to show my scar and I'm happy with who I am. Essentially is what her thing says so Corey comes in and she sees it and she's like freaked out and she rushes off oh my god she goes to the car screaming crying rubbing her face and just like howling into a car because of this and literally I turned to my husband when this happened and I was like Corey's gonna die now <laughs> like yeah this is 100% what I was expecting to happen I was like oh Corey is about to die but yeah so she goes off screaming and rushes off the other things that happen in this part is Noah approaches coach D and says she will join the track team and yep. then this is when I would have changed my mind immediately but she says let's train tomorrow at 5 30 in the morning I know like Noah don't do this to yourself when we leave there Noah's um decided to do the track team the other thing that happens is Steve is at the performance again creepily watching Mouse and she pretends or well she doesn't act like she knows him or anything she just kind of breaks out and watches the play and we don't see any more of him and then the play finishes but can I just say mm. though it's so annoying that this play had all of this hype and we didn't see any of the performance I was yes. like surely <laughs> after all of this we see at least a scene like the beginning part like anything like no we just know that yeah. Farron danced and it was good. She killed it. Right. She made the center stage people look not good. She she did really well. Everyone like was praising her. So that's kind of what happens after that. She does a dance. It cuts to after the dance. Everyone's surrounding her and telling her how awesome she was. Then her dad rushes in and says, get your stuff. we got to go. Your mum was in an accident. And that's where the episode ends. Good episode, though. Can I just say amazing it episode? It was a really good episode. Episode 7. Starts with the Hanrada Porn and Salvage Shop. And I noticed that they're very modern. They have Afterpay. Well, they have Buy Now, Pay Later, which I associated <laughs> with being Afterpay. <laughs> Cute. It's first thing in the morning. The shop is closed. Elodie's in the store and she gets a letter with a red A mm -hmm. in her name. And it's an invitation to the 1999 carnival. Mm -hmm. And when she turns the back over, it says, meet me in the Hall of Mirrors. Yep. And immediately Elodie has a flashback to the 1999 yes. carnival where her and Angela were in the Hall of Mirrors and you see them kiss. And then Davy walks in. And immediately she's like, what's going on? Elodie pulls back and she's like, oh my God, did you see that Angela? She was attacking Davy kind of makes a comment saying well don't think you're gonna try and hit on me next or something along those lines and she takes anyway d burns the flyer the next thing that happens to mouse in mouse's storyline is that so the girls come back they meet at school <laughs> imogen and tabby start telling the other girls about what happened in rosewood the girls think that their mother's visiting 
Rose confirms a lot of guilt and they start asking questions. This is another instance of why these girls ask questions. They're asking, well, why is A going after them? Angela was assaulted. Why are the girls going after them and not the rapist? Why are they bothering to kill Karen? Then they start asking who, who it could be. They ask whether it could be Sheriff Beasley. But they thought pro- yep. probably not because he wouldn't kill his own daughter. They did raise Wes as a possibility, but they dropped it very quickly. Tabby just said, Wes, A, and then dropped it. And then Mouse asks, what about Angela's dad? And they didn't ha- really have an answer to that. They don't know anything about him. And then they say they can't, they still can't tell him what, anyone what's happening because A is still keeping tabs on them. So that's kind of the background there before we move on anymore with Mouse's storyline. They're kind of aware of what's happened in Rosewood and they're wondering who A is and how this all ties together. So then back to Mouse's storyline, Ash asks her to go to the carnival together. She says her mum won't let her go because of something mm-hmm. that happened to her the last time she was at the carnival. Yep, and that they have a year, every year tradition to go away that weekend instead. So the last time she was at the carnival a man came up to her and offered her cotton candy and she makes a point of saying that she didn't think she was in any sort of trouble or that she was afraid until she saw her parents' look on their face so essentially mouse is saying that this man tried to abduct her and her parents freaked out but luckily she wasn't abducted and that her parents got her safe but they've been very protective of her particularly elodie ever since she says that the guy was a stranger. That's why they, you know, go out of town every year now instead. They're worried about yep. this stranger guy coming back. This happened in 2012 and she was five years old. So this doesn't align with what was on her missing poster. And we also know she wasn't missing. So that poster seems yes. to be a false false document, Thing. which was like, well, this is an overreaction for something that didn't even happen. <laughs> yes. I was, I was a bit confused when I realized she didn't get kidnapped. What, you got free cotton candy 10 years ago and you haven't forgotten it since (laughs) i like to think that she would have forgotten that but her parents wouldn't let her forget about it yeah like her her mum just seems obsessed with it and we find out a bit more about that towards the end of this episode so then the next thing that happens to mouse is she gets another message from steve um she's in her room she gets another message from steve he says hi again i got us tickets to the carnival so we can ride the carousel together it's your favorite and I think at this stage, he's still pretending she's Rachel. And Mouse has had enough, so she gets up and she stalks him on LinkedIn. And she finds out that he's the regional man- manager at Tech Shack. She does approach him. She goes up to the work, to where he's working, where he's with some customers. And he's talking to them about some sort of mm. Bluetooth technology. And she says, what about tracking devices? Do you sell those to stalk people? Yeah. And this was a very rich line from him. He says, yes. you're crossing a line. This is my work. I know. I know. I was like, Steve, pot, kettle, black. Like, yes. what's going on here, mate? Tell me. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, but then Steve tells her some very interesting stuff about his past, her past. Yes. So apparently he knows that she was almost snatched once. And he knows this because of a community support group that he goes to in Somerville where her mum goes as well. Yeah, Mouse is like, oh, no, that's impossible, though. My mum has a book club that night because, you know impossible to say you're going one place and be at another but yeah so I think this makes Mouse realize just how deep this thing has affected her mother and how much she's still trying to deal with it so she gets pretty fed up and she goes home and she starts cutting up all of the pictures of her and the people that she quote unquote helped get 
get over their missing children. And then she gets a text. The man who tried to take you wasn't a stranger, with wasn't in capital letters. Mouse starts wondering what this means, I guess. And she approaches her mum. So her mum's sitting on the couch reading a book. Mm -hmm. And she says to her mum, oh, is that for book club? And then she tells her mum that she's planning to go to the carnival with Ash. Her mum says, well, what if he's there? What about our tradition? Which is, yeah, very weird. You would have cottoned onto this earlier, I would have said. But what kind of stranger that's trying to abduct a kid goes back to a carnival to wait for that kid every year? Who would you expect to do that if they don't know the kid? Like, you would expect it would have been... If it was a stranger, it would be opportunistic, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't have been planned. And so there's no reason to think that he would be there at the carnival after 10 years of waiting for her. And besides, she's 16 now. She's not going to be, she's not going to be bribed with cotton candy. Exactly. Then Mouse asks, was he a stranger? Elodie says, as far as we all know. And Mouse kind of says... Well, if he is, then he's long gone. So no issues, essentially, and I'm going. And then the next day, Um. she talks with her other mum, Shirley. And they kind of both talk about how they've had enough of living with this stress. Her mum says, I don't know how long I can keep doing this with her. You have to live your life, Uh, and so do we. uh, They get to the carnival. First thing that happens is Ash. Mouse calls Ash her boyfriend. He says he would love to be her boyfriend which was really nice. Uh, But just quickly before that, something I wanted to note is that Ash says, is like leading her towards the carousels and she's like, oh, this is actually your favourite. She's like, hey now, like, which kind of makes me think that what Steve said in the text wasn't referring to Rachel, but was actually referring to her liking the carousel and he just knows a lot about her because of Elodie. I didn't notice that. That is a good point. So it was actually her favourite. Yeah, that seems sus. But also, I think something that she has in common, I guess, with Rachel is, so they don't know what happened to Rachel. So in the father's mind, Rachel is still young and who she was. Mm -hmm. And we know from Mouse that her parents also didn't want her to grow up. And so she's also got that kind of young youthfulness. So maybe both of their favourite ride was the carousel. But also, that is a weird coincidence. But also, yeah, you're right. She hasn't been to the carnival since she was five, though. So it would make sense that that's her favourite. So yeah. actually, um, now that you're like, we're talking it through, I'm like, oh, maybe it's not that weird. But it's weird that they both made a reference to it. Good pickup. I will think about this. I don't know if it means anything yet. Because I really don't want to be sus of Ash. I really don't. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really love Ash and I really don't want him to be doing anything wrong. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hesitant to say that's sus because I don't want to be sus of Ash. And then back at um, Mouse's house, Mouse Dee gets a text. Mouse house. Yes. And it says, <laughs> if you're not honest with Mouse, your worst fears will come true. Yeah. So she starts panicking. Yes. Shirley says the paranoia has to stop. And if she leaves, then she doesn't know what's going to be going back. That's going to be waiting for her when she gets back. But Dee's like, no, we have to go stop her. We never should have left. And she ultimately ends up leaving. And then we get the most terrifying scene of this uh, episode, Leatherface at the carnival. So Ash suggests that Mouse and him go to the Hall of Mirrors. And when they're in there, Mouse sees Leatherface and she starts freaking out. And she's trying to run all over the place to try and avoid him. And Leatherface is kind of following them around. For some reason, Ash never sees Leatherface in these season, yeah. even though there's like 25,000 Leatherfaces because of the <laughs> um, mirrors reflecting everything. Like, we already know this from Pretty Little Liars, but you can't see reflections of people if they're slightly off scene. So it's fine. Like, you didn't see 25 Jenners, you're not going to see 25 Leatherfaces. Yes. And also, like, how long are these damn hallways? Because Leatherface is doing full on sprints <laughs> in there. Like, Leatherface is trying out for track up in there. 
Um, they're just like running, running, running nonstop. So Mouse is panicking. They're running around. It's like this crazy chase scene. And then she sees the exit signs. There's little meant to go out of that exit, but she runs out, escapes. Runs pretty, pretty much right into her mum's arms, basically. Yeah, she, she runs straight, literally runs into her mum. And then her mum says, can we talk in private so I can tell you the truth? Um, and then that's when we find out from Elodie that the man who tried to take her back in 2012 wasn't a stranger. He was her father. Mouse says, how? You told me I didn't have a father. I had a donor. And we find out that Elodie had offered to become a surrogate for this family because she needed money after college, but they Mm -hmm. didn't use an agency. They just did it kind of privately. And it sounds like she ended up not wanting to go through with giving the baby back. Mouse said, well, is that why he came up to to me? And she's like, maybe. What do you mean maybe? That's obviously why. (laughs) Yeah. And then she says, was he even trying to abduct me? And she says, I don't know. Mouse is, you know, upset because she feels like she didn't have that opportunity to be to have a father, even though he was trying to get to know her or try to be her father. That's why Elodie is constantly scared that he's going to come back. Because, I mean, yep. if that man is her biological dad, he's got a claim. Now we understand what her constant panic is about. But my logic here is surely if you've essentially stolen a child from their real parents, surely you moved towns don't just stay in the town you've grown up in where they found you before yeah that's true so what's stopping him from coming back is the other mystery i feel like we're gonna see him again he may even already be Mm. someone we know but i don't think so just because if it was someone we know she would freak out and leave town right yeah so and then this is when mouse plays her hand too early i find so she admits Mm. that she was the one that sent elodie the text and she says i'm sorry i didn't mean to scare you with my text it was me that sent it because I wanted you to be honest with me. And then she asks Elodie if she has any other secrets. Mouse girl, you should have asked that first before you revealed your hand. Nope, nothing. She's got no more secrets. That's all the secrets that she has. So who's? I think that's all for Mouse until the scene where they're all together at the very end. And we'll just come back to that later. So who did you want to cover next? Then we see Noah at training and she's running a bit slower than usual it seems. And mm-hmm. she's worried it's because she's been eating one too many pepperonis because her mum Um, works at the pizza place now the coach offers her a one-on-one with a trainer to help get her where she wants to be is what the coach says and then we cut to where she's at the trainer the trainer's name is Bo I believe is that what you said it was yep that's what Sean says Um, in the next scene after this she's doing a running test she's kind of got like this mask on and he's watching her run and he says to her that you know you're driving your knees well you're doing great I think you just have like some shortness of breath and he gives her an inhaler and says to take two puffs before um you run and you'll definitely see a difference essentially and that's what he takes it down to it basically just wants to open up her airways a bit further to get deeper breaths we cut to Noah and Sean hanging out essentially in Noah's storyline and he Mm -hmm. asks her about the trainer and he says Oh, how was Bo? And that's when she Mm -hmm. says, oh, you know him? And he says, yeah, I haven't worked with him, but Greg Tyler and a few of the other guys have, and they say he's awesome, which is what we were talking about earlier. Then basically the last scene we see of Noah before the final scene again is at the carnival. She's hanging out with um, Sean and a few of the other jocks are around as well. They have a run in with the, the Rosewood jocks. They're having a confrontation. Then he starts to get a bit aggressive. He starts getting really aggressive towards like the Rosewood guys. Nothing really happens. Noah, Noah breaks it up. She basically says, I'll call the sheriff. And then they back off and they break up the fight. But you can see she's very unhappy with Sean. And she says, since when are you that person? And it was an interesting side to Sean that we saw that he was so quick to get aggressive. Because up until now, we've talked about how he's the suspiciously perfect boyfriend. And then all of this stuff that we've talked about this episode as well, about how he just knows things 
things that he hasn't been told yet as well. Super sus. And I think that's pretty much all that happens to Noah. So did we want to talk about Farron? Yeah, we can do Farron. Things heat up with Farron and Corey. Basically, Corey blames Farron for her diva stunt causing the crash. So the dad's off getting the brakes checked and she says, that's not the reason I crashed. You know, it's because of that diva stunt. And then Farron stands up for herself and she says, you've scarred me like physically and mentally and I've been in pain my whole life. And Corey says, I stand by what I did. Like, I did what was right for you. I stand by that. I think you were going to give Farron a public apology. <laughs> yes. In the last episode that we talked about Farron, I said very wrongfully now that it was sus that Farron didn't want to go to Pittsburgh with her mum and get a new start. And yep. I was like, there's no real reason, Farron. You're being crazy. You're being sus. We have yep. now seen this all unfold. Corey is psychotic. She yes. is worse than Marjorie. Because with Marjorie, at least you can say she's an addict like it's a medical condition like it's something that she doesn't necessarily have as much control over Hmm. Corey is just straight up insane and yeah yeah making her feel bad for a car accident putting her through that surgery which wasn't needed putting all this pressure on her I owe Farron a public apology I'm sorry Farron it was not sus that you didn't want to go to Pittsburgh with your mum I am sorry yeah please forgive me (laughs) Um, (laughs) so we find out when Farron talks to Mrs. Jiri that her mum will be in a cast for six weeks, but she'll be fine. Mrs. Jiri also tells Farron that she's been cast as Giselle in her next production. And she finds out that Kelly has withdrawn from the dance, dance class altogether. Yep. So Farron goes up to Kelly in the library and she tries to find mm-hmm. out what happened. It's quite clear from this scene that Kelly thinks Farron was behind it. And she thinks that yep. he got she got Henry to do it at first. And she says, I should have had my father arrest you. And if you talk yeah. to me again, I still might. But Farron is in shock at this and she's like, what happened? Did someone try to stab you? Like, what is what is going on? The next thing that happens is Farron's in the bathroom with the other girls. They have a quick bathroom meeting. She says mm. that what if she accidentally set A on Kelly because she was worried about whether Farron was Kelly or not, which was an interesting thought to me. And this is something we talked about earlier. Next scene, we see Farron and Henry dancing. Yes. And he's got her like lifted and she kind of whimpers, I guess is the mm-hmm. correct word he asks what's going on what's hurting she says it's a twinge in her back yeah and he's and she says that she's had the pain on and off for eight years since the surgery um and it's manageable most of the time but sometimes she has a flare but she's been dealing with it so very shortly after this Baron gets called into Madame Jiri's office and she essentially says that Henry told her he meant well he was concerned and he told her about the pain Madame Jiri wants her to go see a specialist to make sure that she's okay because she herself has had an injury before and it affected her dancing more long term because she didn't treat it. So Madame Jiri is like seeming to warm up to Farron a lot more in these this these two episodes. But yeah, Madame Jiri is less of a pain now than she used to be. Yeah, so then Farron meets with her mum at home again. She tells her that she went to another doctor for her chronic pain. They have another kind of confrontation where she says she's going to see Jiri's doctor. And the doctor said to her that the surgery was a mistake. She should have not had the surgery. And she has to start wearing a brace. She has to do physio. And she can't dance for six months while she's recovering. And her mom says, why didn't you tell me if you were in pain? And Corey's, and Farron is like, are you serious? I told you dozens of times and you didn't want to hear it. And that she's determined to not let her mom's choices ruin her life. And she's going to get better the right way. Which was a very healthy attitude 
attitude to it, I thought. Yeah, it was a very healthy way to approach it, like you said. So that's where we leave them. Yeah. But yeah, as we mentioned, Henry's starting to seem a little bit sus as well. I d- can't quite put yeah. my finger on it, but he seems sus. And then I'm going to propose something controversial here. So even though they have separate storylines in this one, I'm going to say let's do Imogen and Tabby together sequentially because I do intersect a lot. Yeah, okay. I'm down with that. So we start with Imogen and Tabby in Tabby's room. If I remember correctly, yep. Imogen walks in and says, she says, Farron texted us. Her mum got discharged. So first of all, how does Farron know that they both got the text? Well, it could have been that that wasn't a group text and she just hasn't seen that or something. Yeah, I guess that's true. But it also made me have flashbacks to that thing we were talking about before where Imogen assumed the, Im- the message that Tabby got. They talked about how they're going to have to tell the girls about their trip and the Angela story, which we already talked about, they've told them. Imogen's worried about the stigma, and not just for her, but for her baby. Tabby's worried about telling the sheriff because he's basically the Slender Man, and then they remember yes. that there's Officer Maroon who's um, helped Imogen the night of her mum's death, and she might be an option. Mm-hmm. Then the next two things that happen to both of them is they're in their respective classes. The first thing that happens is Imogen is in health class, and she finds out that she has to pretend to be uh, mummy and daddy with someone. They get given the fake baby, and and Chip's sitting behind her, asks if they want to team up. And she says yes. Scene that we see next is in Tabby's class. Um, with It's her filmmaking class. So I'm assuming these aren't happening at the same time then. Otherwise, Chip has a double. <laughs> Chip's also in that class. They find out that they've got to make a short film on some aspect of their life. Something meaningful. And you can see Chip yep. looking at Tabby when this is being mm. said. And she starts thinking about the bonfire party. So yep. Mr. Smithy says it has to be a story only you can tell. Um, yes. So she's thinking about that. After school, Tabby's at the movie theatre. Essentially, she's at work and she's doing something. I don't know. She has her notebook out, but she's doing something, I assume, related to work. And Wes and Chip come kind of running at her from around the corner and they say that they have their next double feature IDs booked. Do you want to hear about it? She says, yep, let's hear it kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I don't have the movies noted. Do you have what they were called? Yeah, Last House on the Left and Virgin mm-hmm. Spring. So they suggest that and Tabby's kind of like unsure for a second and she's like both of those movies have really graphic like sexual assault scenes and Wes starts mansplaining to her essentially saying that I think you're missing the point before she can kind of like get into like what he's going on about. She has another daydream. Stabs Wes in the hand with her pen while he's giving her unsolicited advice about what she needs to be doing if she really wants to go to film school and then she comes back to reality and Wes is telling her just that, giving her advice about what she needs to be doing if she wants to go to film school saying that she needs to look at this with an objective lens and that they're products of their time and she tells them that you don't understand what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a woman watching those scenes I have no issue with the films existing I have issues with essentially men like you glorifying it and she says enjoy your double feature misogyny I'm going on my break and she kind of says to Chip also did our psycho project teach you nothing clearly not so she's quite upset about this and we can see that this is also impacting her sort of social interactions with the men at her work as well yeah so the next thing that happens to tabby after this is she goes out to the woods um and she finds the place where she had the bonfire and i think this is her kind of thinking about that night trying to deal with it thinking about her movie and she has flashbacks to the party you know it's the scene that we kind of talked about before where she sees flashes of people's faces flashes of the drink flashes of her walking through the woods and then she comes back to kind of reality 
body and she sees Leatherface and Leatherface is about her to stab her. And then she realises that that was another thing that happened in her imagination. So she's imagined this scene. She's quite scared. She's out where she was assaulted. She decides it's time to go see Deputy Maroon. She heads off to the sheriff's station and while she's waiting for Deputy Maroon, uh, Sheriff Beasley wants to talk to her. Um, so Sheriff Beasley calls her into his office and he starts asking her about whether or not her and Tyler were friends and she's like, no, not really. We don't really run in the same circles. Or after he asks if she's heard from him since Halloween, not many people have kind of a thing. And um, she says, yeah, we don't run in the same circles, whatever. He says that Tyler's missing. She says she's not too worried about it because guys like you always have guys like Tyler's back. And Sheriff kind of goes, oh, so why are you in my off-lease station anyway? And she says that she was going to talk to um, Deputy Maroon, uh, Maroon sorry, about a parking ticket for her mum, but she forgot at home, so she's just going to come back later. And she kind of leaves it at that. She doesn't get the chance to speak to Um, the deputy like she wanted to because she was a bit intimidated by the sheriff. Yeah, and I guess the main point of this scene is that Sheriff Beasley lets her know that Tyler hasn't been seen since Halloween night. Yeah, but he's had reports in the face. Yeah, and he's had reports about them having an argument and her assaulting him. Um, Yeah, the sheriff knows that she punched him in the face. So that's the main thing that happens there. There's a second time that people mention that Tyler hasn't been around. Then back to Imogen. She's having trouble keeping this baby quiet. And she's at home. She's having trouble with the baby. And Sydney comes in and asks her what she's planning to do with the baby. And she wants her to understand her options. Um, and she offers to make yep. her a appointment at the agency. Uh, mm-hmm. Imogen agrees. She goes and makes her that appointment. Yep. Before she can get to this appointment, though, it's um, back at school. Imogen needs to take a quick bathroom break. She's got the baby. She needs to take a quick bathroom break. So she gives the baby to someone called Mrs. Bell and she says just watch this baby for a second I need to go pee by the time she goes to the bathroom and comes back the baby's disappeared Mrs. Bell's on the phone she's like I didn't touch the baby she has no idea where the baby is and she starts freaking out she's named the baby Clarice (laughs) yeah Um, and she's looking for Clarice and out of nowhere Chip shows up to help yeah I was gonna say that she's freaking out a lot for a fake baby thing and I think that's just due to the fact that she's paranoid about her own baby and being her a bad mother so Chip comes out and he says that he'll help her find it they wait for the hallway to clear out and they follow the cries they find the baby in like a utility closet with Mm -hmm. you're a bad mother pinned to its chest and it's the same you're a bad mum sign that we see in a's jewelry box in the intro i think is like okay cool chip let's actually tag team this and can you take me to the my appointment the person at the adoption agency just assumes that chip is the father and says i'm assuming you're okay with this decision and he goes along with it he pretends to be the dad he says yep i'm 100 supportive of whatever imogen decides is best for the baby and when they leave she asks him why did you do that and he says she felt he felt like she needed the support then he says look you don't have to tell me who the real dad is that's for you to know and then they end up going to a family pizza with the baby and he starts to get a bit open about his own life so he starts talking about his dad and he says he started working at the Orpheum so that he could pay for a camcorder because he busted his dad's camcorder and his dad said you had to get your own and he asks Imogen to go to the carnival with him I'm just like also sus of Chip here as well because he was the one who suggested that him and Imogen be partners first of all Mm. and he also was very quick to act like the dad. The whole saying that oh you don't have to tell me who the father is that's your business thing was unprompted like that wasn't up for conversation Mm. yeah it was a bit weird and given like we've said before the interactions he's had with tabby about things that relate to sort of her sexual assault and everything that we've picked up on Mm. i'm kind of suspicious that somehow chip was involved in 
both of their assaults because as um we later find out like they go to the carnival together um him and imogen and he gets a bit more creepy there too as well i feel like he does yes but yeah but before they get there um imogen and tabby are back together basically imogen asks tabby about chip she says she wanted to check with him first but chips asked her out um, to the carnival and she asks is he a good guy tabby says yes he's the best no issues with you going with him besides i have a date with my mum so th- they seem to be all good with imogen and chip going out tabby's all cool with it and there's mm-hmm. no red flags going off they also talk about briefly about what happened with sheriff Slend- Slenderman. tabby decides she may talk to nurse simmons about it instead then yeah before the carnival the last thing that uh happens before the carnival to anyone in this show is that tabby talks to nurse simmons she's you know obviously very nervous it takes her a while to get things out and she starts to say she wanted to talk to her about a health related matter that happened to her and while she's talking about this she notices the blood drive sign and she hasn't told nurse simmons what's happening yet but she says oh are you having a blood drive and then tabby has a wild idea and it cuts i really don't like this idea (laughs) yeah Girl, are you going to steal blood to find out who the father is? Like, That's what it sounds like to me. That's exactly what it sounds like. At the carnival, Sydney and Tabby are hanging out together. It's apparently very mm. mermaids of them. I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know what that reference is. But she considers telling her mum about her story, but then she sees some of the Millwood jocks there. She gets flustered and she decides not to tell her at this stage. Meanwhile, the other things that are happening at the carnival is that Chip and Imogen are together and they're eating cotton candy. And he starts to ask her, they see another couple kind of kissing. He starts to ask her a question if she would want to, I assume, go out is the next part of that. And she says, I don't think so at first. And then that's when he starts getting creepy. Did you want to talk about it? Yeah. So he immediately starts turning into the quote unquote nice guy and is like, yeah, don't worry. I get it. Like I'm just not boyfriend material. I've spent the last like three years pining over my best friend, knowing that nothing's really going to happen. Yeah. He just gets a bit like, I don't know, very self-deprecating, very quick to put himself down to, Mm. I guess get pity and it was just a bit intense and then he's like and then Imogen kisses him yeah. essentially yeah but yeah it was very um incel vibes it was it was very intense and yeah. I don't know, it just gives me like the vibes of one of those sort of incel vibes like you said um mm. where one of those guys would hit on you and if you don't respond or you don't reciprocate or if you're polite they'd be like oh I'm gonna like hurt myself or something but also the things he said about oh I'm just not boyfriend material I'm just the guy that sits in my room watching esoteric movies like it was all very yeah feeling sorry for himself about not having a girlfriend and also I don't know if he's just admitted to pining over his best friend for the past three years why would you then find that like an attractive feature to then go kiss him like wouldn't you be considering whether or not he's still in love with Tabby and if this is genuine or if he's just desperate yeah um so she doesn't seem to catch any of those red flags and then back at home after the carnival she's telling tabby about the date and that's when also tabby tells imogen she's been thinking um that she's ready to tell the girls about what happened to her and she needs them to help with something she thinks she knows a way to catch the guy if he went to millwood high so that's i think a reference to that blood drive scene and then we have a great reveal mouse was telling them about the the hall of mirrors and they decide that a is officially back tabby starts talking about the assault thing so she says there's something else that imogen and i wanted to tell you about this thing that happened to us and before they can kind of talk about it all the girls get an a message at the same time this is when the girls realize that tyler is dead because the photo is essentially of ty still 
all dressed as a smurf in a bathtub being dead. They realise that A has killed him. So it was a wild two episodes. A lot happened. I mean, the biggest thing for me was that Mouse wasn't even kidnapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was almost kidnapped. And that she's the correct age, it seems. What I'm hoping we find out in the next episode is, yeah, who's the assaulter in both situations? Mm-hmm. Who is A? What is the ties to Angela? Why mm-hmm. do you care about these girls? I'm hoping we get some answers. I suspect though in true pretty little lies fashion we're not going to get all the answers anyway i think we should wrap up yeah i think so well thanks everyone for listening tune in next week for the finale of unoriginal sin um we're so excited about it and if there's anything you want us in particular to cover or anything you want us to discuss or if you want us to talk about your theories um just send us a message or um, reach out to us in one of the platforms we're about to list and we'd be happy to do it yes cool um so you can find us at worst sister shire on instagram facebook tiktok youtube at sister worst on twitter and at our worst sister shire on reddit um you can also shoot us an email at worst sister shire at gmail.com if you want just keep any spoilers off of the tiktok please because that's the one that sadie monitors yes and don't send us any a texts (laughs) yes (laughs) thanks for tuning in guys count to three one two three that one was pretty good bye bye